The Daily Rios for Tuesday, August 4th, 2015. It's time for another Timeline Tuesday. Taking a look at comic book anniversaries for the month of August. So we're going to look back 10 years ago, 25 years ago, 50 years ago, and there's even one for 75 years ago. So we're going to start 10 years ago, August of 2005. Now, what I do, if you don't know what this episode is about, is I compile notes that I have, I double-check them online, and I sometimes it's as simple as looking back at uh, what I was buying at that time. Um, and because, yes, I do have a record of that, stretching back all the way to 1986 or 87. So I can look through what was I buying, what was the standout? Is there anything that uh, is kind of fun to talk about? So that's pretty much how this is all compiled. So 10 years ago, the new character, quote-unquote new character, of Supergirl received her own series with a zero issue and a number one issue. The zero issue was a reprint of Superman Batman number 19, and then she would have a series that would last for 67 issues, all the way up to when uh, the new 52 began. So some, you know, what was that about? August of August or September of 2011. So this is by Jeff Loeb, and Ian Churchill was the artist that kicked off the series. This is the reason I said it's new, is because after having a Supergirl in the DC universe post crisis, that was not. Superman's cousin, DC finally said, you know what? It's kind of hard to explain her origin. Let's get back to having Supergirl be Superman's cousin. So she was introduced in Superman Batman, a series that uh, really, for me, was one of the flagship titles when it began back in uh, whenever that was, 2003 or 2004. And it was by Jeff Loeb. That particular story arc that reintroduced Supergirl was drawn by Michael Turner, and they turned that storyline into a um, uh, direct-to-DVD movie, which I think it was called uh, Superman Batman Apocalypse or Superman Apocalypse or something like that. So, And it was pretty much a direct translation right from the comics, featuring uh, a new Kara Zor-El, Wonder Woman, Darkseid, uh, Big Barda, and a bunch of other characters. Harbinger was even in it. So DC got a Supergirl that was easier to explain back into their universe. I even liked the idea that potentially she was even stronger than Superman. Uh, And then they decided to give her her own series. And as I said, it would run 67 issues. Um, It's kind of weird to think that this version really was only around for about 10 years, uh, you know, well, not quite 10 years, but, you know, obviously with the DCU restarting in 2011. But anyway, not only would she have her own series, in just six months after her new series began, she would take lead title billing with the Legion of Superheroes for a good 20 issues or so. She was a character that DC was really getting behind. Now, the writers for the Supergirl series... Didn't, didn't stick around for, for long. Uh, Jeff Loeb was only on for about five issues. Greg Rucka was on for two. 
before Joe Kelly would jump on for 12 issues. Then we would get Tony Bedard for three issues, Kelly Puckett for nine issues, James Peaty for one issue, before Sterling Gates would finally take over for 26 issues. And then to close out the series, James Peaty would be back again, and Kelly Sue DeConnick would write the book for a handful of issues before the uh, revamp. I read the at least the first year or two, and then I also jumped on with Sterling Gates, but I never finished the series. You can see, by the way, the writers jumped on and off. The, the tone of the book often changed. But nonetheless, it was a, a worthwhile series for a while. Also 10 years ago, Supreme Power number 18 was the final issue of the J. Michael Straczynski-Gary Frank run from Marvel's Max imprint. Now, I can remember when this series initially was announced. There was a lot of hype to it, mostly because it was under the Max imprint, and Marvel was pushing that as being adult and being able to tell stories that that they couldn't tell within their normal line. Um, But it was a big deal. And I remember reading it and enjoying it, and then it had incredible delays, and that killed it for me. So I dropped out before it even ended. But 10 years ago, the 18th issue was released, wrapping up at least the first chapter, but then it would go on and uh, I think there was a Nighthawk miniseries and then maybe a Hyperion miniseries. And these characters are showing up today in that Squadron Sinister book, the Secret Wars tie-in book. It's funny, right? The 80s Squadron Squadron Supreme title, 12 issues, Mark Grunewald, was often looked at as being um, sort of groundbreaking. I don't, I don't think it felt that way when I was reading it at the time. It wasn't like when I was reading Swamp Thing in the 80s as a kid, I knew that that was something different. When I read Watchmen, I knew that that was something different. Um, the first time I read Marvels, right? But the Squadron Supreme, I don't know. I, it didn't feel as weighty as people um, give that title. It didn't have the weight that I feel most people give it in hindsight. Regardless, uh, I do recognize um, its place in history. And then this, as I said, this supreme power, I liked it, you know? And uh, I often think about going back and reading it, just like I often think about going back and reading J.M. Straczynski's Rising Stars series. Another series that had so many delays that the initial excitement just just wore off, you know? So tough. Um, anyway, all right. So uh, 10 years ago, Justice Number 1. Uh, this was by Alex Ross and Jim Kruger with art by Alex Ross and Doug Braithwaite, a 12-issue bi-monthly maxi-series, which is easily summed up as the Super Friends and the larger DC Universe versus the Legion of Doom. Now, this is coming right off the heels of Paradise X, which was the second sequel to Earth X. And uh, Alex Ross just wanted to use something that would, you know, was larger than life and not so heavy. Uh, It's a a silly tale. It has everybody in it, all these heroes and villains. In a weird way, I think it could be a really good way to familiarize someone to the DC universe um, just because it really branches out on who guest stars in the book. And 
it's told in such an iconic way that I think you really feel where all the major players fit and how they interact. So, uh, yeah, I always like that book. If you haven't read it, you really should check it out. It's worth a read. Also, 10 years ago, Ultimate Spider-Man Annual 1 featured Kitty Pride. Uh, it's when Peter Parker, the ultimate Peter Parker, and Kitty Pride started dating. Uh, I thought it was a fun issue. It was a random issue that I just happened to pick up and read. And it was an interesting what-if kind of tale, in my mind, right? Because it was taking place in the Ultimate Universe, and you're able to do something different with the characters. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and then in my notes, I have here Hawkman 43, which was starting to kick off the Golden Eagle mystery. Uh, Golden Eagle is a character from Teen Titans, specifically Teen Titans West in the 70s. Um, and he was appearing in the Hawkman title. At this time, it was being written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray with art by Joe Bennett. And uh, Golden Eagle had appeared... Uh, on and off, and now there was this whole new mystery surrounding him. And as a Titans fan, I, I had to, I was reading it anyway, but I really, I thought it was great that they were addressing um, how he would fit into the DC universe. Uh, and this is the Golden Eagle that was revamped design wise post crisis, right? I mean, it's you, it's hard to explain his continuity, um, just like Hawkman. For a while, it was hard to explain his continuity before he was revamped in JSA. But um, nonetheless, uh, as I was going through my notes, I said, oh, that was 10 years ago. Interesting. All right, now we're going to jump to 1990, 25 years ago. DC released Batman, A Lonely Place of Dying, which introduced Tim Drake into the Batman universe, into the DC universe, and he would eventually go on to become the new Robin. Now... The way Marv Wolfman talks about introducing Tim Drake is that uh, when Jason Todd was introduced, readers felt that he took the role from Dick Grayson as opposed to inheriting the role. And they wanted to create a character that got not only Batman's blessing to become Robin, but also Dick Grayson as well. So the storyline is actually a storyline between Batman and New Titans at the time. Now, the reason why it's so significant to me, uh, it's also drawn by George Perez. At least the New Titans vert comics are. I, I forget, maybe it's like Jim Aparo. Or, um, I forget who, the, who does the Batman chapters. Um, the reason why it's so powerful for me is because I was out of comics from around 1988-89 till about 1990-91. And I remember seeing this trade and seeing Tim Drake and wondering who the hell this was, but also seeing the New Titans covers and, and thinking, wait a minute, why is Wonder Girl dressed like that? And why is Speedy in the book? And it, I just had all these questions because I had been out of comics. So I missed when New Teen Titans even changed over to New Titans as a title. I saw this book maybe at a, at a Walden Books at the time. I uh, saw this trade, and I just had so many questions, so many questions. And it was one of the first uh, trades and comics at the time that got me right back into comics. Uh, I remember it was this. I picked up 
X-Men, the dark Phoenix saga. I had never read, I've never read that. The cover was the trade of it was by, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. And, uh, I guess I picked up new Titans as well. They were starting to head into the Titans hunt and Legion of superheroes was about at issue 19 or 20 of the five years later run. And all of these things, plus a whole bunch of more, uh, plus a whole bunch of other comics just got me back into comics. So, you know, 25 years ago, uh, 1990, had I not seen that collection, who knows? Who knows? All right. Also, uh, speaking of New Teen Titan, uh, New Titans 70 was a comic that uh, became known as Death, Deathstroke Zero. It was a Titans comic right before Titans Hunt, that event that really shook up the Titans universe, um, that featured Deathstroke the Terminator. And it was a tryout book, pretty much, by writer Marv Wolfman. Steve Irwin was the penciler. Inker was Will Blyberg. Uh, letterer was John Costanza. And editor was Jonathan Peterson. And it, as I said, was Deathstroke Zero because... A year later, we would get Deathstroke the Terminator number one with the same creative team, except instead of Adrian Roy as a colorist, we had Tom McCraw. And on cover art was Mike Zeck, all those great Mike Zeck Deathstroke the Terminator covers. Um, And that series is actually getting collected now by DC. There's one volume out. Um, So this, you know, this one-off that they just put out there. I mean, it was, he was a popular character anyway, and now he was going to become even more popular. So that was 10 years ago. Uh, we have mighty mouse. Number one from, uh, Marvel, a 10 issue series that was based on the Ralph Bakshi cartoon at the time, which was so funny. It was such an irreverent cartoon. And I know it had a lot of controversies when it was being produced. So Marvel put out a 10 issue series uh, art was by Ernie Cologne, at least the first issue. And the first issue had a cover that was an homage to Dark Knight Returns, and it was called Dark Might Returns. In fact, a lot of the covers were just, uh, you know, lovely swipes of previous comic book covers, including two of them that are crisis-related. I've always meant to read this series. I think I might have the issue that is... Uh, the cover to crisis number seven, the homage to crisis number seven. Uh, but I've been meaning to look for more. So that was 10 years ago, 10 years ago, Atlantis Chronicles number seven was released. The final issue of that miniseries, written by Peter David artwork by Esteban Moroto, beautiful artwork. I knew of his stuff from Amethyst, the four issue miniseries by Keith Giffen at the time, which was the birth of Mordru, sort of a, a retcon, uh, detailing the birth of the Legion of Superheroes villain called Mordru. And after Atlantis, Chron- Atlantis Chronicles, uh, Moroto would go on to draw Zatanna, four issues from 1993 that I've never seen. But Atlantis Chronicles, uh, a super, super in-depth exploration of the history of Atlantis, Atlantis within the DC Universe, ending with the birth of Aquaman. Talk about a complex story. It is Peter David's, you could even almost say it's like an early Game of Thrones type thing, um, detailing centuries of history within the DC universe. Um, 
And when he would write the Aquaman series, he would rely heavily on the Chronicles. I'm sure that they mean nothing now, but at the time, what an what an inventive way to tell a story that is not done often. So that was 10 years ago. Um, the second issue of Give Me, Give Me Liberty was coming out from Dark Horse. I missed it last month. But this is Frank Miller, Dave Gibbons, uh, Martha Washington. Martha Washington, Give Me Liberty, that character. Her miniseries was uh, being released. Swamp Thing hit issue 100. And this was a story where he would go into Eden, which uh, within the DC Universe is actually in the Garden of Eden, right? Um, in the DC Universe, it's in Antarctica, <laughs> at least as this story tells it. And it has everything to do with Tefe and the his child and the Parliament of Trees. And um, it was a, you know, anniversary issue. So I thought it was fun to mention. And then 10 years ago, Fred Hembeck sells the Marvel Universe a one-shot sequel of sorts to Fred Hembeck destroys the Marvel Universe. Always love to see Fred Hembeck work. All right, now we're going 50 years ago. And this is 1965. From Dell Comics comes Lobo number one which is arguably the first black male lead of a ca- of a comic. So not just a feature in an anthology, not just a supporting, but an actual title lead, uh, Lobo from Dell Comics. Now, Wikipedia uh, says it was only two issues, created by writer Don D.J. Arneson and artist Tony Tallarico. It chronicled the Old West adventures of a wealthy, unnamed African-American gunslinger called Lobo. On the foreheads of vanquished criminals, Lobo would leave the calling card of a gold coin imprinted with the images of a wolf and the letter L. There are some reasons why the series never kicked off. Some of it, some one creator says sales. Another creator says, you know, when it was being printed and dropped off at the distribution and newsstands, they saw a blackmail lead and said, nope, we're not selling it. Um, you know, the truth is probably lost to history. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, an, a very important comic, if you don't know about it, 50 years ago, Lobo number one, 1965. This is before Luke Cage. This is before the Falcon. It's before Black Lightning. It's before Black Panther. And, uh, you know, deserves his place in comic history. Also, 50 years ago, 1965, Green Lantern 40, which is a pivotal comic within Silver Age DC Comics, featuring Green Lantern of Earth 1 and Green Lantern of Earth 2. It's called The Secret Origin of the Guardians, written by John Broom with art by Gil Kane. And this is the... Story that tells about Krona building a device to explore the origins of the universe and how it all goes wrong and releases evil in the world. And then all of this uh, eventually will be retconned to being the birth of the multiverse within the DC universe. Keep in mind, this is, what, four years after Flash of Two Worlds, for, uh, issue 123 that featured Flash and Jay Garrick. Uh, that also explained the multiverse, um, but a, a super important title as well, and that came out 50 years ago. Now, um, Adam over at CGS has done a Time Bubble episode featuring 
Green Lantern 40, where he talks about it for uh, about a half hour. And it is time bubble number 22. Uh, so mixed in with other comics that he was reading and talking about, he talks about Green Lantern 40. So that's a nice way to um, supplement any kind of information if you want more on that title. So 50 years ago in August, uh, a pivotal DC Comics celebrating his anniversary. Also 50 years ago, Strange Tales 138, first appearance of Eternity in a backup Doctor Strange tale by Stanley and Steve Ditko. He's the character that when you look at him, he has, he's always like a silhouette of various space within him and, and galaxies all within his body. Uh, I always liked his look. I thought he was always a cool character within the DC, uh, within the Marvel universe. 50 years ago, Wonder Woman 157 is the first appearance of Oolong Island and Egg Foo by Robert Kaniger, Ross Andrew, and Mike Esposito. And Oolong Island and Egg Foo would be updated for the 52 weekly series back in uh, whenever that was, uh, 2006 or 2007. His updated name is totally escaping me right now, but his first appearance was 50 years ago. Super War 124, Lana Lang becomes the Insect Queen for the first time. Uh, Tales of the Unexpected 91 is the first appearance of Auto Man by Bob Haney and Lee Elias, who I only really know from Who's Who, so I didn't realize that this was his 50th anniversary. And then over on the Marvel side, Avengers 21 is the first appearance of Eric Jostin as Power Man, and he would go on to become Smuggler and Goliath. And then lastly, Atlas from the Thunderbolts. And that was a story by Stan Lee and Don Heck with inker Wally Wood. And then in Daredevil 10, the first appearance of the Animen, Ape Man, Bird Man, Cat Man, Frog Man, uh, all recruited by a man named the Organizer. So those are just some fun, silly uh, anniversaries for 50 years ago. Finally, August 1940, All-American Comics 19. This is 75 years ago. In a story called Introducing the Mighty Adam, we get the first appearance of the Golden Age Adam, Al Pratt, as well as his trainer, Joe Morgan, and his girlfriend, Mary James. It was written by Bill O'Connor, penciled by Ben Flinton, and the inker was Leonard Sansone. Al Pratt, the Adam, is celebrating 75 years. I have to imagine most of those Golden Age characters are celebrating their uh, 75th anniversaries around this time, some some that I've missed, some that will come up in future. Uh, and it would, that character of Joe Morgan, the trainer, Roy Thomas in All-Star Squadron Annual 1, he would retcon that character as the trainer for two other Golden Age characters, the Golden Age Wildcat, as well as the Golden Age Guardian. So instead of having all these random characters training all these superheroes, he decided to mix it all into one in this uh, annual that not only retconned that origin, but also talked about how it was wrapped up within the Earth 2 Green Lantern, Alan Scott, and his powers, and the Starheart, and the Guardians, and oh, you just have to read it. <laughs> so happy 75th uh, to the Mighty Adam. Also, Mary James, his girlfriend at the time, would eventually become his wife, and she would become the mother to Damage, the, character, the young teen character of Damage, 
who was in both the New Titans and Justice Society of America. So Al Pratt has quite a family tree when it comes to superheroes. Uh, Mary James is Damage's mother, so that means Al Pratt is Damage's father. There's also some stuff with Vandal Savage messing around with Damage's DNA, and apparently he has the DNA of all these superhero characters, not only the Justice Society, but of some Justice League members as well. But regardless of that, um, so Al Pratt is the father of Damage. He is the godfather of the character Adam Smasher, or Nuclon from Infinity Inc. And then for a hot second, it was believed that Kate Spencer a character who took on the Manhunter role uh, for a while. It was believed that she was the granddaughter of Adam. And then it turned out that, nope, that was wrong. Um, her mother was Phantom Lady, and her father was not the Adam, but was Iron Monroe. So that little tyke, uh, you know, he has quite a little legacy for, for, uh, for his character. So there you go. Timeline Tuesday for today, looking at uh, anniversaries for August. And again, keep in mind that these are not cover dates. These are actual release dates, as close as I can get them. And it's kind of fun to look back and see what was going on. All right, this has been the Daily Rios for Tuesday, August 4th. If you want to add to the conversation, send me an email, uh, peter at thedailyrios.com, or leave a comment on the website. This is the Dale Rios episode 290, and I'll see you tomorrow.